Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Birth Mothers Amplified. I'm Mathani. And I'm Emma. And today we have three guests with us. We've got Nikki, Nicole, and Katie. Hello, ladies. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we are bringing you another panel episode. Um, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that we had an open adoption panel um, a few months ago. Uh, we're coming back with another one um, with more guests. Super excited to dig into that and um, hear these ladies talk about their stories and um, kind of just the perspectives on having an open adoption um, through the whole spectrum. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, we we know how important the openness of adoption has become, you know, over the years, and it's been a really popular topic within the adoption community, and so we felt that it was appropriate to have another panel on it and get even more diverse perspectives and, and talk about all things um, open adoption. So so with that, do we want to go ahead and drop, jump into some introductions, give some background on you ladies? All right, Nikki, yes. take it away. Hi, I'm Nikki. I am 20 and a half years post-placement. Uh, I placed my daughter when I was 17, a junior in high school, and um, we have been on a roller coaster ride for 20 years, probably more semi-open uh, adoption than just straight open adoption, and just within the last few months, uh, we've connected, my daughter and I, so it's been a very, very exciting and wild ride. Awesome. Thank you. Nicole? Hi, I'm Nicole, and I am married to my husband, which is the birth father. Our birth daughter is nine years old. Um, We have a very open adoption, and yeah. Awesome. Katie? I'm Katie, and I'm 18 years post-adoption. I was a ninth grader and 16 when I got pregnant. Um, We just recently hit the 18-year mark, which ended our uh, post-adoption agreement, if you've listened to the last podcast, which was pretty crazy, and we had a semi-open adoption, so I'm looking forward to going into that today. Awesome. Awesome. So, Mathani, before we jump into the questions, could you provide a definition of open adoption for us? Because I think you know, the different types of open adoption we've talked about. And, and I think there's loose definitions depending on who you ask. So what, what's your take on it? I mean, my take is any kind of contact between the biological family and the adoptive family. So whether that is visits, whether that is, you know, phone calls, letters, just any sort of openness, you know, I mean, it's in the name, it's open adoption. And so um, I think for me, that would be the definition. So, cause I used to formally think that open adoption was visits. Like I thought always thought that was the qualifier. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, that was just what I thought. And so how would you define semi-open? I mean, I guess less contact or less visits. I know it's a tough one. Yeah, I guess I've never really thought about that. <laughs> Nikki, Katie, I'd be curious. Do, do y'all have a, a take on that? Because y'all had experiences, right, where it was just communication and no visits. How do y'all describe your adoptions? 
I would probably also say that it, it deter it's determined by when you place too. I think mm. like, you know, when, when I placed in 2000, things were very different than they are in 2021. Yes. So, um, and, and, it, and it's great. I love to see the advancement in, in adoption. But for me, it was like, I, I never, well, those first few years I got to see her, but after that, there was not any direct communication with my daughter. And um, I guess that's maybe my definition of it. Is it maybe the direct contact with your child? Yeah, I think of semi-open adoption is just um, kind of like, uh, I would think of it as like, yeah, no direct contact and, and honestly kind of um, bare minimum when it comes to contact. So I think of just letters and photos really once a year is what I think of when it comes to a semi-open adoption and then no direct contact is what I think of. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some people use things like when you know more personal information, right, mm -hmm. that typically would be kept private. So like a last name or knowing where they're, where they live or Absolutely. having that kind of information, um, even without the visits would be more of that open. So anyway, I just think it's an interesting thing to point out because I think people do define it differently. And it, I think it's important here that as we use these terms, we ourselves define what we, what we mean by that. Um, so anyway, Mathani, yeah. let's go ahead and, or do you have, have more thoughts? No, let's jump in. All right, um, let's do it. Nikki, what would you say are the pros and cons of open adoption? Uh, for me, I would definitely say the pro is being able to know. Um, I, there's something about, you know, you carry your child for all those months and then your placement happens without knowing there are just so many questions. And, and I loved knowing, you know, those milestones that she had in her life, uh, being able to watch her high school graduation, uh, was one of the most special moments of my life. Uh, so clearly it's just being able to know versus the unknown. Yeah. Nicole, Katie, do y'all have anything to add to that? That's good. I think that's spot on. I think for me, a con that I've, um, that I, I guess I didn't really anticipate was kind of the power shift, you know? So, you know, when we make this big decision, the adoptive parents essentially have all the power in this relationship, right? And it can be as open as possible, but at the end of the day, they hold the power. And that's something for me, I didn't anticipate or know going into uh, yeah. this relationship. And it's hard. It's really hard. It is. <laughs> mm -hmm. I still sit in that. I mean, my daughter is an adult and I have this fear that I will say or do the wrong thing and overstep mm. and all of the connection will be pulled away from me. Yes. So that power never disappears. Yes. I, I think another con would also be, you, you know, you, when you place and you, if you do a semi-open adoption, you have that 18 year uh, post-adoption agreement. And when you sign, you think 18 years is so far away. So you don't even think 18 years out, what are we going to do? at that mm -hmm. end of that 18 year agreement. Cause I have so, that's so far away. I have so long to think about it. And then, you know, 18 years goes by so fast and here we are and there was no plan. And then all of a sudden you're just done. You're cut off. There's, mm -hmm. there's nothing. And you just have to sit and wait and hope. So I think that's another um, kind of con of, of these 18 year agreements. It's so hard to go from getting pictures and letters every year to then just nothing. 
is incredibly, incredibly hard to sit in. It doesn't make me regret my decision at all, but it is incredibly hard. And I think that's a con. Um, you, you do lose that little bit of anything that you had. Just, you just, it's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge, I mean, Mathani and I were talking about this earlier that everything has pros and cons, right? Any decision we make and we emphasize the pros on this podcast for a reason, because we think they outweigh the negative. I mean, I, I, and that's our take and, and we, we truly do believe that. But to not acknowledge the reality of the situation and that there are negative components would be unfair to listeners or expectant parents who are trying to decide what's best. Because only you as an individual can decide which one weighs more, right? The pros or cons. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that. And Mathani, I love the, that power shift and, and having to deal with the consequences like what you were saying, Katie, 18 years later down the road, you don't get to decide if that communication continues, right? You're kind of waiting on someone else to make that decision. So I like, like that point. Yeah. Nicole, you and your husband placed your daughter um, nine years ago. And while you were kind of going through that process, did y'all advocate for an open adoption more? Or did the adoptive family that you chose, um, were they the ones to kind of initiate that conversation? Like how, walk us through that. So um, when we first, or when I first said adoption, my idea of our adoption was closed. Um, In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to have this child and I'm done. Like, that's it. I don't want, I don't even want to see. So once we got with the agency, the agency we went through only did open adoptions. And I went with it. My husband went with it. When we met the adoptive parents, um, they wanted open adoption, of course, because they were with this agency that only did open adoptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still closed adoption in my mind, um, even knowing that they wanted open adoption. Um, but after meeting them, everything completely changed. Like the minute my husband and I met them, it was completely, completely closed, was out of my mind 100%. So after meeting with them and learning them and, you know, getting background on them, we all connected instantly. So right then is when we knew open adoption was our choice. Nicole, it's cool hearing that because I think a lot of the birth moms we have on as guests, you know, they wanted an open adoption or that seems to be more of the common theme. And for any adoptive parents listening, I think it's important to know not all birth parents do come in to the, into the picture wanting that or ever want that. And that it takes both parties have to agree. That's why Mathani, I love that question because it sometimes only one party wants it. Sometimes both, sometimes neither. And you know, Sometimes that all just goes out the window five, 10 years later down the road for whatever reason. Um, But that's cool that y'all, once y'all met the parents, y'all decided that was definitely the right, the right route. Cause y'all have a very open adoption, correct? Very open. Yes. And cause your other children have a relationship with your, with your uh, daughter who was placed. Yes, they do. A very close. It's a, sister bond you can tell 100% when they're 
talking on the phone together um, when they see each other, you know, how kids are shy and stuff. So if they meet a friend or something, they're kind of shy immediately when our girls get together, it's just immediate bond. I mean, you could tell it's a sister bond. So it's, they're very close. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I have a question. Yes. So, and Nicole, if you don't mind me asking, why did you originally want clothes? I, is it because you were just, um, I, were you worried that you were trying to protect your heart? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think in my mind at the time, I couldn't deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of my, my way of telling myself, just have the child and then just be done with it. And you just block it out for the rest of your life. But like I said, everything changed 100% once we met them. Yeah, that's a completely understandable response, though, going into it to just want to separate that feeling because that's understandable. Especially with um, you and your husband, your other daughters are older, correct? Correct. They're two years, one's two years older than her and one's one year older than her. Yeah, so that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Katie, what motivated your decision to want an open adoption? Like, was that from the get-go, that's what you wanted for sure? Or was it similar to Nicole's where it kind of evolved? Yeah, I definitely always wanted um, a semi-open adoption back 18 years ago. um, Real uh, open adoptions, like super open adoptions weren't very common. Um, Mm. So I don't even remember having a super open adoption even being an option to me. That was very unusual. So just the basic semi-open adoption or closed were your only two normal options. So closed wasn't an option for me. So it was just semi-open adoption and that was really your only choice Um, and it was just your basic standard uh, letters and pictures once a year and that was that was it so it was it was definitely clear that that's what I I needed I needed that contact Um, I needed letters and photos uh, to be able to to see him every year that was um, non-negotiable for me I thought you always wanted open right Oh, yeah. And like I had seen ex- like examples of open adoptions like around me, like at church and stuff. Like I knew, f- you know, a family who had different levels of open adoptions with each of their children's biological families. And so I kind of seen a picture. And so I knew I wanted some form of openness. Um, from the beginning. So yeah, that was never closed for me. Closed was never an option. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, Katie and Nikki, y'all, y'all talking about, you know, 18, 20 years ago reminds me of my mom and and aunt. Cause my mom had my half sister almost 32 years ago. And my aunt had her daughter almost 45 years ago. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about what the options were and what was acceptable, I mean, Nikki, you, you were referencing it earlier. The evolution of the adoption world has, I mean, 45 years is not a lot. Like, I don't think of that as a long time, you know, like, or no. even 32 years. Like, my aunt to my mom to me and our experiences could not have been more different because of what was presented as the actual options, right? Um, and so I could see, you know, Katie, you were saying that, like, I mean, open adoption wasn't really 
one of the choices. So it's like, how could you want that when like that, you didn't know that was a possibility, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't even an option. It was like, you can have closed or you can have semi-open, which yeah. you want. Yep. Closed was never an option. So the only way I really took back some of that power, Mathana, you talk about the power mm-hmm. uh, struggle. The only way I took back some of that power, so to speak, in my story is by keeping my son for a week after I delivered. And that was always my plan. So I took mm. back some of that power by just saying like, okay, I need, I need this week. I signed my rights away at 48 hours just so that the adoptive parents would have that comfort knowing that this week wasn't for me to change my mind and that he was truly theirs. But I, I took back some of that by saying that I need just this week of memories for me and I'll have this week. Um, but that was really the only, only way um, that, that I had to, to get memories to take right. back any power. Um, and then it was semi-open uh, adoption after that. Yeah. Nikki, I see you leaning in. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I've listened to so many birth mother stories. Um, and we went, tri- or I had a private adoption. Um, and even then, there was, we didn't even have a plan. Mm. So when we placed, like, there was no plan for what the next 18 years was going to look like. Uh, so I gave over total control to her adoptive parents and said, Hey, I hope that you communicate with me. Um, and so I was just grateful for whatever I got. Yeah. But, and, but there, and at that time, like my attorney's not talking to me about a closed or open. He's just like, you're placing your child. So (laughs) Nikki, I I have to ask, because I've said this before and you know, it's, it's a strong opinion I have, but always open to be challenged on this is in private adoptions. I don't think they're wrong by any means. I want to make that clear. I think, you know, there are situations where like that is totally appropriate. What I struggle with or what makes me sad is when I hear about private adoptions where, you know, the attorney has either no prior experience with adoption or doesn't connect the birth mom with resources and the adoptive parents right? I was very fortunate with my, with my adoption in the sense that um, I had my own representation. So I had my own attorney. They had their own attorney. Uh, the moment I became a client of his, he referenced, or he referred me to a counselor who I can't thank enough to this day. I saw her on a regular basis before and after placements. Um, wow. She even brought me in to talk to other girls after, um, after placements. Uh, so I think, and, and he had it actually an adoption agency, but I think it was still so open adoption was still such a new concept that that wasn't the conversations that we were having at that time. And our placement, our, our adoption is a little unique because she was placed within a biological family. So, um, so private was just the best way for us to go. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I will say, I mean, there are also birth moms who have gone through agencies and felt that resources weren't provided to them. So, I mean, there, you know, it can go both ways. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to be your biggest advocate and, and kind of seek out those resources and support. But I am very, very happy to hear that your representation encouraged you or, you know, connected you with therapy or whatever it was um, or is, because a lot of times you, you just don't know to ask and, until you know it even exists. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to hear that. So Nikki, something I also want to ask is, what does communication look like between you and the adoptive family? I know you've you know, referenced that it has kind of ebbed and flowed throughout the years. So give us a little bit more context of that. Uh, so 
in 20 years, we have probably experienced every form of communication or lack of communication. Uh, started out her first four years, we had annual visits at least once a year. Um, I was regularly getting cards and photos. I have an entire box of photos from the early years of her life. And then from about four to, I would say about nine, it was, either, it was um, just a lot of photos. Her mom would send me uh, lots and lots of photos of her. Uh, and then from about nine to 14, there was nothing. Absolutely no communication from the adoptive family. I kept them updated on what was going on with me. Uh, there were regular Christmas cards that were sent out. And I actually just found out recently that this photo I sent of my sister and I with Christmas with a Christmas card, uh, she kept in her nightstand, which mm. uh, definitely made me cry when I found out mm. about it. But um, so and then at 14, her mom emailed me. And from 14 to about 20, it was email communication with me and her mom, uh, kind of sporadically for the first couple of years, it was regular. Um, and then now it's just direct communication with my daughter. Uh, we did do a family Zoom uh, early on in our connection. So it was her, her parents, me, my parents, and my sister, all on a Zoom. It was insane. And I'll probably never do that again. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but so the communication is, We've gone through we've gone through everything in in twenty years. Do you mind me asking why it stopped about four, like the visits and and that more consistent communication? Uh, to be honest, I don't know exactly what happened because at that time I was actually living closer to them than I had ever lived before. Um, where when I saw her at four, I was twenty minutes away from her house, mm. and until that time, we'd always been in different states, and we're still in different states now. Um, so I don't know if there was some fear from her, fear from me. Um, for me, I never pushed anything. Again, it goes back to that power control there. Like, I, I was so scared that if I said or asked for too much, that I wouldn't have anything. Um, and that's literally what happened for the last 20 years, is I never reached, I didn't overstep anything because I was always scared that I wasn't going to get something after that. Um, so... Uh, but I did find out, you know, there was never a time where she didn't know she was adopted. And her mom uh, clearly passed on as much beautiful information about my, my family and, my, and me to her. Um, so there was never anything that she didn't know about me or her story. Well, most of her story. So, uh, so even though we weren't talking or we didn't see each other, it, it was she was involved in, in her open adoption. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that y'all have now reconnected directly with each other and that y'all can yes. begin to build that relationship. Because I mean, that really at the end of the day, you know, we always talk about, it's about the adoptees at the end of yeah. the day. Obviously, you know, I think it's very important for their sake that the adoptive parents and birth parents can have that healthy dynamic and relationship because you don't want to put the adoptee in a, in a hard corner, you know, but I think it's still very beautiful that y'all can, y'all can pursue that um, and figure out what that looks like, you know? And just, and just yes. see. Um, so, so Nicole, what do you think the key to success is with your open adoption? Um, gosh, I have three words, honesty, um, respect, and trust are my three things that I always have gone by when it came to the adopted parents. I've always been honest with them. They've always been honest with me. Um, I've trusted them. They've trusted me. Um, if I've wanted to see her, I always trusted the reason why they told me they couldn't um, and respect. Re I always have respected that 
they're busy. Um, she owns her own business. I have to respect that. Those are the three main things that has made our open adoption successful is honesty, trust, and respect. And that goes both ways. They, they do the same to me as well. Okay. I'm going to ask a hard follow-up question. Which uh, of those do you think has been most difficult? <sighs> respect. Hmm. Like um, it's been, and when I say respect, I mean like I have to respect that they can't see us when we are ready to see her. It was harder when my birth daughter was younger, you know, before, of course, I know them more now, but back then it was harder for me to respect that she was busy with her job or he was busy with his school. So, but it has gotten way easier now. Have you found, because y'all have an interesting dynamic with, with your other children. Um, did you find that it was hard to watch them parent differently? Like during visits, if, if, you know, maybe she was acting up or maybe the things that they were enforcing was different than you and your husband. Um, was that hard? No, no. I mean, it's, we're so, so tight as a family. Like it, I've never felt, I've never had a visit with them and felt, oh my gosh, I don't like how they're parenting. Mm. It's, it's when we're together, it's just like, we're all family hanging out. Um, so I've never really been in that situation to make me feel, I don't like the way that they're parenting, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of just been us hanging out together and just being one, one family. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, so Katie, in our last episode, we talked about grief and resources. Um, and we talked about how the type of adoption could help or hinder maybe, you know, with, with healing and so I'm curious what your take is on that. If your type of adoption has helped with your grief um, and contributed to your healing process or not, um, you know, you've, we've talked about the pros and cons earlier in this episode, but, but what's your take on that? Yeah, I think the adoption that I had has, has really helped. I think it was, uh, I think open adoption was really healthy for my personal story. And I think a lot of that has to do, again, with the age of the adoption. I honestly can't even imagine having an open adoption. It's really hard for me to put myself um, like in yours and Nathani's shoes. I just can't even fathom going through and having that open of an adoption because I just I didn't have that choice. Um, so for me, I honestly can't even imagine. So for, for me, I think open adoption was the healthiest. I think it allowed healthy boundaries. I think it allowed them to go and, and start their family. Um, it still allowed me to see him, which gave me the healing that I needed to know that he was okay and that he was doing fine and get those updated updates that I needed. But then on the other side, there were some some tough parts in the healing process. Um, like for example, I didn't share this on my personal story. Here's another little snippet. But when he was about 14, we had moved back to Colorado Springs, which is where I'm originally from. We're military. We move a lot. We're about to make our 14th move, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> and so I don't always update the adoptive family what state we're in. That's just crazy to be like, hey, we're in state, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's just crazy. And I know that they take vacations to Colorado. They take vacations to a lot of different places. And they had written me their yearly update and said that in the next 
upcoming summer, this was when he was around 14 or so, that they were going to be vacationing in Colorado Springs, which is where I was back living. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to be in the same city that I'm in. What do I do with this? We're in a semi-open adoption. This is against the rules, technically. (laughs) And I thought, but if I don't say something and ask to see him, will I regret asking? Um, And so I did go against the rules this one time, and I'm so for respect, boundaries, rules. I'm a rules person. I'm a boundaries person. (laughs) So I wrote to them. I took a chance, and I wrote to his adoptive parents, and I asked, and I let them know that I was in the same town, and I asked if we could get together. And I said I'd even be willing to meet with y'all first, just the adoptive parents, to see if you're even comfortable with meeting um, later with my birth son. Um, And I knew it would be a huge risk. Um, And they responded like I had expected them to respond. They said no. So it was what I expected. It was still hard. um, But that's, uh, you know, the con of a semi-open adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's there's another little snippet to my story there so yeah I don't know there's times like that where it's hard okay I was just gonna piggy kind of piggyback off of that Katie um I've had similar situations where I've you know asked something and even though I kind of know what the answer is going to be I still subconsciously get my hopes up and then when that no comes through I'm like dang, you know, I should have known better, you know, even though it's, no, it's natural for us to, you know, get our hopes up. It's completely natural. And so it is. um, And yeah, that is. And it's also though, I think it's important and okay for birth moms to continue asking, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, you can do it in a respectful manner, right? I think you asking for that is not disrespectful. Um, And I also think it's very okay for adoptive parents to say no. You know, that is what we placed our child, like we gave them those rights, you know? And so it's, it doesn't mean it doesn't suck. (laughs) It doesn't mean that it doesn't like hurt when, when, you know, you have, you know, hear that. But I'm always very impressed and admire birth moms that ask because I am not good in any part of my life. Great at asking for things that I need. I, that is not a gift of mine. And I always am worried that it's going to be burdensome or I'm going to make someone uncomfortable or make them feel they're going to have to say yes. I just got very lucky in my adoption story where the adoptive parents are so present and actively pursuing me. I rarely have ever had like been in a position where I, you know, felt that I wasn't getting what I needed. Um, Mm -hmm. but that, but I recognize that that's rare and, and I'm very lucky in that way. But I mean, I would hope that birth moms are encouraged to ask for what they need, obviously in a nice way, maybe with a please. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the other thing with that is, is you don't want to play the what if game. So what if yeah. I, what if I didn't ask and I would have said yes, you know, and, and I was very respectful because I, you know, and I said, I understand that this is going to come as a shock to you <laughs> that I'm even sending you this letter outside of the once a year communication that I'm in, the same state that I'm asking this huge thing of you that I've never asked before that, 
you know, so I, and then when they responded back with no, they said that they didn't think it would be in my son's best interest that he would be ready for that. So I sent them another letter back and I said, you know, this is, um, I'm not mad. And I said, this is exactly what I want to see his parents being his parents, which is what I asked you to do. And if he's not ready, I got the opportunity to see his parents being great parents. And what more could a birth mom ask that opportunity? Katie, we've heard so many beautiful parts of your story, but I have to say that probably is the most admirable thing you have shared with us, that even in a moment where it hurt the most, you still not just were proud of your decision, but that you were grateful to the adoptive parents. I am very impressed by you. Thank you. Sorry for crying. I just wanted them <laughs> okay. to know that I just wanted to make sure that we didn't end that communication with his adoptive parents on them thinking mm-hmm. I might be upset that they said no. I wanted to make sure that I communicated back with them that I appreciate you even thinking about it and I appreciate you responding to me outside of the once a year. You could have just yeah. said nothing. Yeah. You know, and then I appreciate you being great parents and looking out for my son, uh, what more could a, could a mom ask for than that? So I wanted to make sure that I responded to them and um, I felt like that was the most important thing. Yeah, that's beautiful. But I think, and that's Katie, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, but I think too, something that I've experienced is I've expressed when a decision has been disappointing to me, to my daughter's parents and they welcome that. Like they've always made it very clear that I can ask anything and I can also express if maybe I'm not happy with um, the answer that I get. And I don't, I don't know if you guys follow like Enneagrams. I'm an Enneagram nine. So it's like super hard for me to like ask for anything or do anything that's going to cause confrontation. Um, So for them to create such a welcoming and I don't know if welcome is the right word, but just validate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels, I feel very lucky that they allow that, you know, allow me to be me and to ask what, for what I need, you know? Yeah. So, That's awesome. Yeah. I know. So Katie, you asked for what you needed. And I know Emma, you were talking about like first mom should ask. And I talked about being scared of, you know, asking, mm-hmm. but here's the crazy thing. Like every time I ever asked for anything, uh, I always got it. And I don't know why that then like that fear built. I mean, it even went as far as my dad called them up one time and said, Hey, I'm in the same state. Can I come and visit my granddaughter? Oh, and they let him come over. Oh. And so like never had, like the, they never did anything that scared me, but for some reason you just have this fear. And I don't know if part of it was the age difference too, between me and them. Um, because they're closer to my parents' age than they're closer to my age. Mm. So I think that like authoritarian figure mm-hmm. definitely played into some of my fear, but I never, I never didn't get what I wanted. So it was, I had these really unfounded fears. Are you, Nikki, are you like that in other parts of your life though? <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> so it depends on which part of my life you're talking about, but there are definitely... I even, I mean, look at, look at my, in my career, there are definitely components of mine where I hate to ask. And I yeah. know that I'm not going to get rejected, but I hate the, I hate asking. 
Yeah. You can yeah. ask my boss that she'll tell you the one weakness in my, in my job. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Cause yeah, same. I mean, my, the adoptive parents have, have always been very gracious, um, with anything I've needed. So I think it's more of my personality than it is the, the situation. I mean, the dynamic definitely feeds into it. Like you said, um, with the, with the power, you know, aspect, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it goes back to the communication. We always talk about this and how important that is. Um, and the respect, Nicole, like you were, you were talking about and being honest is to be able to ask for the adoptive parents to be able to say no. And then for you to say, I, you know, I appreciate you being honest and asking, you know, saying what you need, but also that made me sad, you know, and, right. you know, going back to what Mathani is saying and just being everyone being honest and being okay that sometimes hard decisions are going to make us sad, but that's just part of the health, a healthy relationship. Doing the right thing for yeah. someone isn't always, you know, nice and, and easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nikki, why do you think um, people seeking an adoption should choose an open adoption, a semi-adoption versus maybe a closed adoption? Kind of talk about that a little bit. I will definitely advocate for open adoption in any form forever and ever. Um, just from my own experiences, even my crazy roller coaster, I would not give up any of those moments where I knew things that were going on in her life. Um, but th at the same time, I mean, since I've been more vocal about who I am and my story, I've learned so much from adoptees and seeing what mm -hmm. they need. And it, I mean, that's something that many of them need. They need to know their story, their history, who, where they come from. And I mean, adoptive parents can't give all of that. I mean, they can give you sometimes what was on paper or the story or the, the chats that you, you had while you were uh, preparing for the adoption, but only the adopt or the birth families can really give that history and that that connection that no adoption can can actually provide so i will be a strong advocate for open adoption uh, providing adoptees what they need katie or nicole did you have anything to add to that that's pretty spot on <laughs> i i would add you know even if you're thinking that you might want a closed adoption i would highly recommend just a even a semi-open adoption because if you get letters and pictures once a year that doesn't mean you have to open them if you're not ready but once it's closed it's closed but you can always get those letters and pictures and then tuck them away in a safe place or um, if you have a, a friend or family that you trust tuck them away for you until until you're ready um, but I would always recommend even at least a semi-open adoption because there's going to come a day where your mind might change and your, your heart may need those letters and pictures to know um, how your kiddo's doing. So even if you're, you're not ready right there in the moment, doesn't mean that you, you have to open those letters and pictures right away, but, but have them mm -hmm. for yourself at some time. You can't go back from a closed adoption, but you can always adjust an open adoption. Right. Or it's harder. Cause I mean, yeah, it's possible, but it's a lot harder to go yes. from closed to so you know hard. semi or open, mm -hmm, for yeah. sure. Nicole, what advice would you give those seeking an open adoption um, from your perspective? Oh, goodness. Lots mm -hmm. of advice. But one that's pretty important to me would be to communicate with each other about how open you want your adoption um, before placement. Um, always, you know, communicate with one another what your needs are, you know, to the birth mom, 
to the adopted parents know before that placement happens so that after the placement, you're not disappointed with each other. It's always best to be honest and tell each other what you are wanting and needing before it actually happens. And then you get hurt, you're disappointed, you're mad, you're angry. So my biggest thing, my biggest advice would be to communicate with each other on your needs that you will be needing. Yes, I love that. Because I mean, the reality is disappointments are inevitable. You know, no matter how good of a communication you've built. And so the better the communication, the better expectations are set, the better you're able to kind of move and navigate through the disappointments when they, when they happen. Right. So I love that, Nicole. I'm going to, I'm going to add something to, um, from the adoptive parent perspective, if seeking open adoption, something my daughter's parents have always said, and that I've always really appreciated is they've always said that our daughter, and and again, she's four and a half, um, she's leading this. Mm -hmm. And even at her age, she's leading it. And now they don't sit back passively, but does it mean they don't really say anything unless she asks questions. They're open about adoption and all those things. And they find good opportunities. Like when her and her other brother who's adopted, were talking about babies being in their, you know, mommy's tummies. That was an opportunity. And their mom said, well, you know, you weren't in my tummy, but those opportunities presented themselves, but then she didn't push. And then, you know, all those things. And she, she's just letting, you know, her and, and the father are letting our daughter lead it. And at the end of the day, you know, Nikki, you're seeing this with your daughter, the relationship y'all are going to have, eventually they're going to choose what that relationship looks like. And so I think as birth parents and adoptive parents, as you're choosing what opportunity or which choice gives the adoptee the best chance to choose at the end of the day when they can. And I think that goes back to what y'all were implying about with openness. It gives a little bit more opportunity for whenever parties are ready. There's at least that level of contact, you know, or, or knowledge to be able to pursue that if they are ready. And obviously if that can benefit the birth parents in the process or the adoptive parents, that's, you know, a major bonus. Right. That was perfectly stated. It's the truth that we, we have to focus on them and what gives them the best chance to grow and flourish. So. So Katie, do you think that having a more open adoption, you know, having visits, or whatnot would have benefited your child more? Yeah, good question. Um, I think for our situation personally, I don't think so. Um, Especially looking back, knowing that I did ask for a visit so randomly, Mm -hmm. and they said no, thinking that it wouldn't be in the best interest of him, that he wasn't ready. Um, I think kind of validated that fact. I think if he would have needed it and would have been ready, they would have said yes. Um, also I'm a military spouse. I move all over the place. Um, so we're not in the same location even Mm. ever hardly. Um, so I think, I think it would have been really hard. So I think for our situation personally, I think it went exactly the way that it was supposed to go. Um, and I'm always here now after he's 18, if he ever needs me and has any questions, um, I'm here and available for him. Um, and, and he knows that. And so I think, I think it went the way it was supposed to go for everyone involved in, including my son. 
That made me just think of something. Um, have y'all found, you know, Nicole and Mathani, especially you two, um, that updates like letters, emails, text, pictures um, are more difficult or better versus in-person visits? Or is there even an answer to that question? Um, mine's not really like I get updates or, I mean, mine's just kind of like, a, I don't know. That's, that's hard. Yeah, I think for me, the updates aren't really like traditional updates. You know, it's kind of just part of life, I guess. You know, like we'll text. text often, you know, or like or FaceTime or whatever. Um, I think as she's gotten older, visits are a little bit harder just because she's, you know, between each visit, she's grown so much, you know, mm-hmm. she, her vocabulary is expanding. So she looked up at me and we're like holding hands and she was like, we match. And at first I thought maybe I'd misheard her. And I was like, what, what did you say? And she was like, we match, we have brown skin and curly hair. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm about to start crying in this zoo right now. (laughs) And so (laughs) it just, I mean, I think for me, definitely visits may or may not get harder as she gets older. I mean, I don't know, but I also wouldn't trade it for anything, you know, because I love getting to see her and see them, you know, in person, even <laughs> if it is only like twice a year, you know? Nicole, do you have anything to add? Because do y'all text? Is that what you mean by y'all don't really have like updates? Well, so it's like, it's hard to explain. Like our adoption is not like set. Like it's just an everyday relationship that we have or you know like you're driving down the road and oh I I feel like calling the adopted mom I mean it's not like we are on a schedule Mm -hmm. and we have certain times certain days that we can communicate like if I want to call them all I have to do is pick up the phone and call them and they are the same with me so it's not like or a visit. If we plan a visit, it's not like, oh my gosh, I get to see my birth daughter or this is our, our yearly visit. It's not like mm-hmm. that. It's, we are open. Um, they're open. You know, we, for instance, um, my daughter had a softball tournament out in their area. Um, I was like, hey, she's playing softball this weekend. Um, here's her schedule. And they showed up you know, and we hung out. It's not like, we, oh my gosh, this is our yearly visit. It's just, it's just natural. It's just kind of normal. Um, yeah, very casual. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not really, I don't know. I always say it's so hard to explain my open adoption because it's just so normal to me, um, casual. Um, for instance, my phone will ring, my girl's phones will ring, and it's, FaceTime call from my birth daughter, you know, just random. It could be every day. It could be once a week, you know, it's just no really set schedule with them. I hope now that I'm in like reunion with my daughter, like this is kind of like where I hope that it goes. I don't know what's going to happen in the next, the next 20 years, but like, that's why we haven't even got to the point of texting yet. 
we each have each other's cell phone numbers, but neither of us have texted each other. Um, so, but we communicate regularly through social media. We are at the point where we're like now to two really long update messages a week. But like, I would love to get to that point. And, and I've, I don't know if I've made it direct, but I'm like, she has an open invitation to uh, my town all the time because we live across the country from each other. And she would be welcome here with open arms and get to see an entire different side of her family that she's never, never known. So I hope I get to the point where we're just like randomly texting or calling each other. Yeah. Yeah. You will. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I wish I could ask this question of if there were certain types of contacts that were more beneficial to an adoptee. And, and again, that probably just differs depending on who you ask, but that would be interesting just to have that kind of conversation of like, is it like more confusing or hard at, you know, this age or that age to have a visit? Is it, is it better, you know? And again, that's such a hard question to ask because each child is so different. Each person is different and maybe what age they are. But I feel like that would be a very interesting conversation to have with, with an adoptee. I feel the older, um, the older the adoptee gets, I, um, for an example, my birth daughter was, I can't remember if we were, in person or just chatting over enough. Oh, she was talking to one of my daughters over the phone and she said, Hey, my mom told me that if my Coco did not um, find her, then I would be the youngest one in the family. So, Oh, I don't even know where I was going with that. So scratch that. <laughs> I told myself not to get all upset, but I did. <laughs> You're good. You can cry all you want. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to adoptees having siblings older or younger than them from their birth parents' side, I think it adds a whole other dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, it's like, wait, if I was in this family, I would have been the youngest, but now I'm the oldest. And, you know, as children, as we're trying to figure out our identities, you know, things like that have like huge significance, right? Like my older sister always took pride in being the oldest, you know, and I was the youngest for eight years. And then my little sister in the placement, like, oh yeah, I'm number three of four. And little things like that make a big difference for, for a child as they're figuring out who they are. So, you know, if, if your daughter was like, oh yeah, you know, I would have been the youngest in, in this family, if that's what you were implying. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. Like almost like we forget about those, those obvious facts. Right. Also, I love that she calls you Coco. That's so cute. <laughs> oh my Thank God. You. I Thank love you. that. that so is. like all my family, since I was little bitty, my sisters could not say, Nicole, my mom would mm-hmm. say, say Nicole, and they would be like, Coco. So like all <laughs> my family call me that. So I don't know. She just started, I guess maybe because that's what the adopted parents called me. I don't know, but she mm. and it's my Coco. Like she calls me my Coco. Like <laughs> I call my Coco or my Coco. She just calls me my Coco. So that's so special. sweet. And that she has a relationship with your other children, I think is, is very endearing and, and shows yes. the, the opportunity of that openness that she can pursue that relationship with her, with her siblings. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, Mathani, to go back to what you were saying earlier about your most precious story about your daughter looking up at you and saying, Oh my gosh, we match. That's something mm-hmm. else I think about that can be valuable for adoptees 
is to have those opportunities to think about things and ask those questions when they're in person. Because especially at a young age, because I feel like that's hard to fathom and connect the dots when there's this birth parent that's a concept or idea, but there's never been an, a direct engagement or conversation. And obviously your situation is different, right? Because her parents are white. And so mm-hmm. to see like, oh, my birth mom looks like me, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's beneficial in a whole other way. Yeah. Well, it's not only beneficial, it's crucial, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. like, and you know, her, I think her parents have done a really good job in acknowledging how important it is for her to have that connection with me and connection to other black people. And, you know, in the, the books that she reads or the people that they're around and her toys and everything. It's, and I've heard so many adults, transracial adoptees who've talked about how they didn't have that Mm. and how that wasn't something that was not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily kept away from them, but just their parents didn't have the education to know that they needed it, you know? Mm. Yeah. And um, now as adults are having to kind of figure out the racial identity. So I'm thankful that as my daughter grows up, she will have that identity in, in who she is and what, you know, her culture. Um, and she wouldn't have to struggle to figure it out when she's an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I love these examples of what can come from these visits and, and open adoption because I think it's important for people to hear what can come from it and how unique it is because you know you have that transracial adoption right and that's something that it might be important for a birth parent an adoptive parent to consider if they're in that situation mm-hmm. that that might be a really important component that could come from it you know, and then, you know, I was about to call you Coco, Nicole, (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, you know, like Mm -hmm. to have that opportunity to have a relationship with our siblings. And so it, it's just important, I think for everyone to consider what are the different factors in, in our, our lives that could present those opportunities for the adoptees as we always go back, back to that. I wanted to share one more story about a visit and this kind of fits into what we're talking about. Um, so they were here at our house, um, my girls were in their room, you know, playing. They were playing dress up, dancing. Well, it was getting close for them to leave because she wanted to not drive in the dark. So it was getting close for them to leave. So my birth daughter comes in and she's like, I have an idea. So she she knew that she was leaving with her mom. So she tells her mom, I have an idea. Let's pretend like you're my birth mom and Coco's my adopted mom. Because she knew if that was it, then she could stay, right? Like, oh my mind, gosh, yeah. So in her mind, she's thinking, wait, if if my mom's my birth mom and Coco's my adopted mom, then I can stay here and play with my birth sisters, right? So she says that to her mom, and her mom's like, huh, okay, well then you need to leave my house because this is my house, so get out. Like, you know, it all played out really. It was. At first, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, she's only nine years old, and she yeah. figured yeah, this out, right. you know, but it's like, it, everything was fine, you know, but she was like, yeah, you're my birth mom, Coco's my adopted mom, so that I get to stay and hang out and play with my sisters. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just wish, for anyone who's listening 
and not watching this on, on YouTube. I wish you could see all of our faces as Nicole's telling us stories. We're like, oh my gosh. Oh my yes. gosh. Like holding yes. our breath, like looking at the yeah. parents to handle the situation. Yes. But it's she's that, nine years old. Oh my gosh. That is so, that is funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's tight. It's only going to get better from there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Oh. We're on them teenage years. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I, I, I did want to address something in this podcast. Obviously, it's open adoption. Um, but I did want to bring up, you know, Katie, you mentioned this earlier, of, of the importance of acknowledging closed adoption. And, and we've talked about it a little bit here and there. At least personally, I, I know not everyone has this opinion, but I, I never want to paint closed adoption as the wrong, wrong choice. I just, I think it's worth playing the devil's advocate there for a little bit because, again, we only talk to, to birth moms who are open about their stories, even if they are closed adoptions. And I would love the opportunity, I don't know if anyone listening um, has a closed adoption and feels confident about it and believes that was the right choice because there very well are birth moms out there that made that choice and want it to remain closed. And I would love to explore those reasons um, and hear why, the, why that was the right choice. You know, I, 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 at least personally, I cannot sit here and say that that is always the wrong, you know, that is always the wrong option. And so I don't know if y'all have a take on that or you just adamantly disagree with me and you're like, no, that, that's always <laughs> wrong. Because some people do. And, and you know, I, I would always advocate for open adoption. I'm not going to pretend I wouldn't. I would always advocate for it. Um, but I just would never want a birth parent to feel that they made the wrong choice by choosing clothes if they feel that that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Everyone's entitled to a choice because that's, that's what it is. And so if, you, you know, a birth parent feels like, or if an adoptive family or whatever, if they all come together and, and decide together that closed is the best option, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I think bottom line, you only know as an expectant uh, mom or a birth mom, you only know what's best for you. Um, but if you're an expectant mom, I would just highly encourage you to also look at um, what what might your child want in the future mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But you are the only one who knows what's best for you. Um, but there are two sides of it. So I just encourage anyone to look at both sides. Yes. But again, you are the only one that can make that choice for you. So no yeah. judgment here. Yeah, exactly. In in my family, uh, I've had a very unique experience to be able to watch family members who are birth moms, as well as adoptees in my family, um, mostly on the older generation. Uh, but I've had some really great conversations about how our journeys are different, whether it was 50 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And, you know, we've had two closed and one open adoption in our family uh, and just to see how the, the industry's changed, how perspectives have changed, how just how the community looks on birth parents, adoptive parents, adoptees. But it, it is very unique and, and everybody has their own reason. And I I do not look down on anybody in my family that chose clothes because at that time that was what they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for them it, that's what helped them heal and get through and make their life successful. Uh, so I, who am I to judge? I needed some communication in order for me to, to be able to move on and grow. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. So true. Yep. So is there anything else 
you know, before we, we wrap up that you ladies would, would like to discuss or, or clarify um, on anything open adoption? I guess the only thing I would say, because I've talked about my roller coaster ride and, and I know all of us are in different areas in our adoption journey, that if something stay positive and know that whatever's happening at that moment is happening for a reason. Um, that was the only thing that got me through those few years where I didn't have anything, but so many great things came out of that, that no communication period. And I'm not hoping that any of you have no communication, um, but there's, there's a reason for everything. We're going to make it through it. And hopefully everybody has this beautiful, beautiful growth in their story too. So love that. Yeah, I think I would just, you know, it's so interesting being an older birth mom and then watching stories like um, yours, Emma Mathani, and even Nicole that are newer and they're so open. And now I see a lot of older birth moms struggle watching such open adoptions and struggle mm. with theirs not being open and being semi-open and not getting to have all this communication. I would just encourage people to just, um, just seek uh, counseling, being content um, being positive, like Nikki said, um, I know it's hard, um, but, but at the end of the day, times were so different and you cannot live in the what if game because the what if game is going to kill you and drag you down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just encourage to focus on the positives. Is your, you know, is your child happy? Is your child healthy? Is your child in a safe place? And at the end of the day, that's what we all want for our adoptees, for our children. Um, so try not to get stuck in the what if game. Um, try to find the thankfulness and the positives um, and try not to compare your story to other mom's stories because um, everybody is so different. And that's the only thing I would say. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I agree on the therapy. Seek additional support because one person cannot do it alone. Yes. Y'all, I have to say one of my favorite things when we do this podcast, you know, Mathani and I will, will affirm people and uh uh-huh and, and head nod, but anytime therapy is brought up, I don't think Mathani could be more of a bobblehead and her yes of agreement. Like, oh my God, she's going to give herself like a headache. Because y'all know, I mean, both of us are huge advocates of therapy, but I don't even think I could could compare it to to Mathani's. Uh, Man, therapy is everything. <laughs> Go to therapy. <laughs> just have an amen to the therapy. Amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hallelujah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Thanks. ladies, it has been an absolute pleasure um, to have y'all on this uh, podcast and to talk about open adoption again as I think it should be a continued conversation because as we've discussed, it's adoption is still evolving and, and what the norm is and, and, or I shouldn't say norm, what, you know, is, is being offered and, and what is being seen as a healthy option is this is going to be a continued conversation. And I, I can't wait to, to have all of y'all back on later down the road to see, you know, yes. Nikki to hear updates about your relationship and, and a goal yes. to see as your daughter gets older um, and Katie to, you know, see if, if we hear back and, and are able to pursue a relationship, you know, with, with your son, but we are so grateful and we love the diverse perspectives and opinions, um, on these topics. Cause, cause there's a lot of great, great, um, stances on it, but, but with mm-hmm. that, thank you again, um, to everyone listening. Thank you for coming back and we'll talk to y'all in a couple weeks. Thank you Bye for guys. having me. 
Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and Adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. To speak with an adoption counselor, please call 1-800-236-7898. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.